Welcome to Manitobaville. This is Mahangel, and today we're talking to Nathan Zahn. And Nathan is with Science First. And Science First is what you want to remember. You don't want to do politics first. You don't want to do uh, presumptions first. You don't want to do invisible man and the wherever first. <laughs> you want to get your feet on the ground. You want to know where you stand. And then you can do other things that are fun to do, like believe crazy thoughts. <laughs> okay. But uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, uh, this is Manitobaville, and we are obviously a science-first type of podcast. We, uh, we need to understand the world around us, so that's what we're doing. We're taking some empirical data, and we're going to run it through the mill. We're going to see what kind of grist comes out, because that's how you do it. Okay. Um, yeah, so that's our interview today. And it's a, it's a really good one, and it tells a lot about what's going on in Nathan's world as he tries to help people figure out what's going on with the world right now, the earth, the big blue ball that we live on in the middle of whatever it is we live in the middle of as we always find out new things about what's going on out there. And uh, yeah, you know, <laughs> and if you can get past people's independent marketing down here on earth, to figure out what's going on in the bigger picture, then more power to you, because it's a tough, tough go. It really is a tough go to try and work through all the, uh, you know what, um, with your galoshes on, you know, and <laughs> just trying to stay above it all and understand what's happening. So anyway, in the meantime, uh, and in between time, you can find us at manitobaville.ca. You can make your donations and your suggestions through our input devices on that website and you can search us on uh, all your favorite social medias and on our f on your favorite podcatcher we're on all the podcatchers um, i believe from a lot of podcatchers so you shouldn't have any trouble finding us and when you get on your podcatcher just search mantobaville follow or subscribe rate and review tell a friend and let's get this show going um yeah it's gonna be big time so anyway uh, today is Nathan Zahn, and we're going to get right to that interview uh, just after this little advertisement sound thing that tells you there's going to be an ad coming up right now. Let's jump right in. Awesome. What's Science First all about? Yeah, I think a good uh, way to start is um, the organization... Uh, I founded actually in 2015, after many years of uh, being involved with a few different groups um, from the Eco Manitoba Eco Network. Uh, years ago, the Western Canada Wilderness Committee, and mm -hmm. then uh, the, Bo the Boreal Forest Network. And um, I was uh, canvassing for them. I was organizing some events, was volunteering. So I was kind of kicking around the environmental advocacy world for for about 15 years, and. Um, and what happened was in 2000, in I think 11 or 12, um, the Stephen Harper government uh, indicated they were going to stop funding the experimental lakes area, the federal freshwater research facility uh, east of Kenora. Okay. And, uh, and long story short, as I got involved um, in a larger uh, coalition to save the ELA, save the experimental lakes, with Dr. Diane Oriel. She was a young uh, water scientist doing her PhD who lived in Wolseley, who I actually happened to canvas. Okay. And, and she said, hey, can you help organize some events for the Experimental Lakes area? So what happened is we ran the campaign, and um, it wasn't just because of us, but the, it was a successful campaign to save it with a lot of different groups. And so that was nice to see public pressure work. The funding was saved uh, with provincial money initially, now federal money from the Trudeau government. But I say all that because um, what, I, what we learned was there was uh, the idea of the muzzling of science under the previous government. There was the idea of cutting publicly funded science, and there was the idea of the value of evidence-based policy. And we built up such a large coalition and audience that um, when that campaign sort of wrapped up and was successful, so to speak, um, I realized that I, I had an opportunity to apply some of those lessons I learned and some of the some of the goals and mandates to the idea of, of promoting evidence-based policies and nonpartisan, you know, sort of science advocacy or science literacy. And so after some thoughts, I decided to start my own campaign group um, with, with a lot of help in town. But uh, that's how it started. So the, the organization Science First, the full name is Science First Events and Education. So it's, it's about promoting uh, the things I mentioned, uh, typically through public events, 
workshops, presentations, town halls. Um, and yeah, so that's sort of where it was born. And it's a local group, but we have about 2,500 uh, annual members and a couple thousand more sort of rotating donors. And um, we are also doing a little bit of work. I mentioned one other thing was a group in, uh, based in Ottawa called Evidence for Democracy, and they're wonderful. We share a lot of the same values, and we've done some events in Ottawa and Toronto. So although we're local, we're just sort of uh, knocking at the door of going national. Oh, wow. That's pretty cool. So what kind of what kind of overall budgets are you dealing with to combat like governments that have massive budgets? Well, here's an excellent question, actually. So, you know, we're a fairly modest operation. Um, I'm a part-time, basically, employee, so I do a lot of work. We've got a number of uh, contract people, so we have, you know, uh, we do some media campaigns, mostly on social media. But where our real skill set is and where we actually can use our our fairly small, uh, you know, budget, you know, we were looking at maybe around $100,000 a year, depending on the year, plus sometimes we get grants that help. But with that, what we do is we organize events um, from anywhere to 50 to 300 people, sometimes bigger events. Uh, but the point is, is we do these events not just for the people in the room, but for, for media attention. And so, for, for example, if we have 100 people come out to talk about the North End wastewater uh, sewage plant and how it's behind schedule and how it's impacting Lake Winnipeg, we had a great three-minute piece on CTV News at 6 o'clock on the TV. So you know that suddenly you're talking to 30 or 40,000 people. So that's mm-hmm. our shtick is we are, we are able to put these issues in the media spotlight um, by hosting quality events with interesting guest speakers. But we never do an event or we try not to without having the media presence. So that's really our, our really important part of how we manage to sort of do the David and Goliath kind of thing. And um, that's where people are supporting us. They know that if we're hosting or organizing these events, that we're doing them in, in large measure to to get ourselves into the news so that we're talking to a much wider audience, yeah. Oh, neat. Um, yeah, I guess that's like a Donald Trump. He's all about earned media, right? Because <laughs> he doesn't have any money, so you can't buy well, it. Well, <laughs> I think exactly it. I mean, we're, we're not really in a position to sort of take out 20 billboards across Canada or whatever. Um, and, you know, we're not alone in this tactic, but um, in, in Winnipeg, with what we're doing, it's... So this is a sort of a front-facing group. We, we do a few other things we can get into, but the events um, are really key. And um, as, a, as a bit of a side note, um, my background is also I'm an I'm a event coordinator in the music scene. So I was very, uh-huh. I was very comfortable. You know, you got to go through strengths. I mean, I'm surrounded mm-hmm. by people, whether they're scientists or teachers or lawyers, and I'm, I'm always inspired by them and learning from them. Um, you know, but um, but as an event organizer, this ended up being an interesting marriage of my capacity to organize events publicly funded events or, you know, whatever, and then also uh, science advocacy. So that's where this all ended up with combining these two worlds that uh, maybe seem fairly different, but that seems to work for me. Is, is uh, combining politics get into that too? Because you mentioned that, uh, for example, like a conservative government's very, very uh, uninterested, I guess we could say, to put it mildly, in, um, you know, sort of saving the planet endeavors, whereas a liberal parties or NDP parties or green parties seem to be more open to the idea of, you know, saving the place where we actually live. And uh, so does that get into it on a sort of a micro scene, like your local reps right up to the MPs where you find some uh, collaborations with politics that work? Well, that's also a really good question because what's really important with, with science first, and science first doesn't mean science only, or science is best. It's just sort of, uh, you know, it's in the spirit of can we all agree on the facts and the data and the science? And so uh, we very much are uh, always uh, aiming to be very nonpartisan. Although that being said, you tend to see perhaps more support for science and environmental issues from the Green Party or NDP or maybe the Liberals compared to Conservatives. But what's been really important is to um, most of the time avoid the politics. So whoever's in power of any political stripe will still you know, uh, try to promote or do some advocacy to help push these issues forward. Um, but what's interesting is that uh, we like to try to talk to people on the other side. So one of the deeper issues here, of course, is, you know, science and facts and truth, unfortunately, don't necessarily matter. People are very emotional, very tribal. Uh, and so what we tried to do is find ways to not just preach to the choir. So in particular, we found an interesting thing speaking to conservatives. A lot of conservatives that I talked to with the experimental ACE campaign voted for Stephen Harper, voted for conservatives, support them, but didn't support cutting the experimental lakes. 
um, or, or, or think they do support science and evidence-based policies. So mm-hmm. people will say on all sides, oh, I support the science. And then the problem becomes, well, people have different science and different facts. So, right. um, yeah, so the political part of it is, is basically, yes, we try to stay nonpartisan and try to find that common ground. Um, but then, of course, it gets more complicated because people have certain belief systems that, uh, and in one of the actually events we're doing that's coming up, it's, the title is called How to Trust Your Source. And it's looking at misinformation and disinformation um, online. And so, you know, whatever political stripe you are now, whatever your belief system is, you can find a, a link or a study to support what you believe, you know, whether it's COVID or climate change. So we've right. gone way into the deep end. What's, what's the saying now these days? It's, we're sort of in a post-truth world. So, you know, this whole campaign started, in my personal history anyway, started maybe a little bit long enough ago where you had a lot of this misinformation or you know, problems with fake news, but it's really been amplified, as we all know, for, in various facets to the extreme level, whether it's from Trump to social media. So mm-hmm. um, uh, it's, it's, it's scary because uh, it's, uh, it's a growing problem. Maybe one of the biggest problems on the planet, if you did a top 10 list of problems, I think, right? Yeah. Yeah, nobody knows what to... Well, yeah, it's not that you don't know what to believe. It's that you can find something to support what you already believe. It's easier that way. Uh, that's a, that's it. You got it. Yeah, I've seen some memes about that, you know, and that's yeah. um, that's exactly people. The joke, something that people do a ton of research to to, to find something that supports what they believe. So, uh, confirmation yeah. bias, I guess, et cetera, et cetera. And you know, one of the issues with this campaign for us is again, like I said, you know, we we don't want to just preach to the choir. So we've been really trying to find clever ways to uh, well to break through that. And really, one of the common things is how to have a conversation with someone, or you know, uh, that's that's become a, a real problem. So. As we move forward with some of our events, we've, we've realized we want to include, for example, we typically might do a scientist, a teacher, a journalist, uh, you know, a researcher, and we, or an economist. Some of our upcoming events, we're also making sure to include a, um, a psychologist or people in that world to talk about mm-hmm. how we think, which maybe becomes almost more important than the science or the facts. Uh, so, for example, we're going to do an event uh, early in 2021 uh, examining the proposed green recovery in Canada or the Green New Deal as we approach the throne speech this week with liberals. Um, there's sort of the rumor has it or what we appear to be seeing is a big proposal to go big on the green recovery, which will be a lot of public tax laws. And then um, the question will be, you know, does it work? Where should we put a lot of money? And there's going to be a huge debate about that. So we're going to do an event looking at the economics, the science, um, the engineering, but also the psychology of of the green recovery, because for us that's going to be a big push. Is if we're going to go big, many tens of billions of dollars to change where society puts its emphasis, we want to be able to talk to people that uh, that are concerned about it um, from different fronts. So, yeah, that'll be a big part of the conversation. What is, what is the green recovery then? Is that um, the new thing, or is that yeah. just the overall what everybody knows? We have to back off on on <laughs> destroying <laughs> natural resources. I think I think what it is is we don't really have a that's sort of the Canadian equivalent actually of the Green New Deal in the states that you you or your listeners would have heard of the Green New Deal has been floating around for a few years that would that is essentially a proposal to go go huge go wartime huge on investing in building efficiencies on green jobs on on a on a sort of retooling the economy um, to to go green in a, in a sort of a quote unquote short period of time say ten years plus largely to go to net zero emissions in a few decades or ace as soon as possible. So I think Canada's green recovery is now that we're talking about a post-COVID recovery, the recovery shouldn't just be an economic recovery, but it should be a green recovery. So I think that's been the term that's floating around. In fact, one of our guest speakers on November 14th uh, at the um, How to Trust Your Source event, uh, Jeff Dambicki, wrote a great article about the green recovery in um, the Thai um, West Coast uh, uh, paper there. So yeah, green recovery is something I think we'll all be hearing about. It'll be a big debate again because it's going to be, I think, one of the biggest uh, public expenditures federally in in, in generations, uh, which is probably a good idea. But we need to get it right if we're going to spend a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. So is uh, is is um, the use of oil? I guess is probably the biggest um, problem that we have, like coal, oil, uh, different things that we burn that to find their way into the environment that really have the biggest impact. Is that correct? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, um, you know, the, where people say, what 
what are sort of the top culprits, you know, whether it's oil or transportation or agriculture. And yeah, you can sort of go to, go online. You can find some, speaking of trusting yourself, you can find some of the, the listing of the emissions. Um, and, and then part of the green recovery is to answer your question is where should we emphasize it? Where should we put our, our money and where should we put our policies? And, um, and uh, that needs to be really carefully done. It might be nice to think about having lots of electric cars, but it isn't the biggest culprit. And also, it's not the thing that's going to help right away because people can't afford them. So we do. We need to sort of figure out what does the evidence say. Where, where do we where do we emphasize? What is the list? And I'm personally looking to learn too. I'm sort of the um, I'm sort of the uh, promoter and advocate. I'm not sort of the expert. I'll be mm-hmm. careful to say. So I I organize these events and put people okay. in front of these events so they can talk. But to answer the question, yeah, I mean we. Uh, you know, whether it's oil or what, what sources of, of, of emissions are going to be key. And then once we know, once the experts tell us, once the evidence tells us, okay, here's our top five culprits for emissions in Canada, well, that allows you to derive policy from that, where we go, what are, what's the best thing for our buck and what's going to be most efficient. And we'll, we'll get behind that um, as the months unfold. And that's part of our role is to give people to translate that information uh, in terms of where should, where should tax dollars go if we're going to do this. So as an editor, like my, most of my career has been as an editor, and of course the, the key to editing is not about what you're going to leave in a, a program or a, you know, a project, but about what you're going to remove from it to allow a better program to exist. Right. So do people have a problem editing the world where we know things, we know certain things to be a problem, like a big problem? But we're scared to just take remove that from our world. Is there fear in, you know, leaving some oil in the ground or leaving some coal unburned, you know, so we can have a better existence? You know, they they have to find all the oil and burn it, or like, is there well, a, is there a dichotomy or some kind of head case there with with between big business, big government, big whatever, and even the person on the ground going to the grocery store who loves their car, <laughs> you know. Like is, well, that, you, is, is that an issue? Like, a, is you big... you got it. There, there is a deeper issue here, isn't there? And, that, and this is something that um, I think we're going to have to all talk about more and, and really get on top of. And that is, is, it's really a lifestyle decisions. You know, how often do you fly to a hot holiday? How much do you drive your car? What do you need to buy? Now, I think one way to appeal to people is, you know, we got to look at what we value, right? And obviously, I don't think we need to change our lives so dramatically. I think you can live quote unquote rich, wonderful lives, and you can have some things and you can have a great community and you can choose to do certain things but clearly we need to just use less and be less greedy and we need to be smarter and more efficient so that's the bigger that's the harder sell here is you know science and facts and green recoveries all sound great but you got it if people decide to drive their car five minutes to the grocery store rather than ride their bike to pick up a few things so you need to really get deeper into the idea of okay you know how do we how do we sort of assess and promote you know smart lifestyle changes that don't turn people off. Um, you know, so that sort of maybe goes beyond the science even, that's sort of the psychology of it. But, um, you know, yeah, the, you're going to need to have sort of a, a real look at how we live our lives. And, of course, the COVID, I think, is a good segue here. So you've got, you have had, you know, big changes, whether it's working from home or less business conferences because people yeah. don't want to fly. So it's sort of been a real-world example of, of big societal change when you have the, quote-unquote, you know, COVID gun to your head. So I think we need to... You know, we're sort of in the middle of it right now, but hopefully mm-hmm. we can continue to assess it and look at it and quickly take examples and learn from it that, that big societal change can happen. And it doesn't, on one hand, I mean, there's some real difficult things. I'm in the music scene and it's really a shame to see venues closing and festivals canceled. And that's a, that's a real problem, but that maybe people can fly less for business trips and suddenly... You know, we do use less emissions, and so maybe there are lifestyle changes that can happen, and people realize it doesn't actually affect their quality of life very much or what they get out of life. So, yeah, groups of, you know, organizations, top to bottom, schools, governments are going to want to be quick to capitalize on, on some of these lessons, and, and whether it's even closing down streets around Winnipeg to make them more pedestrian-friendly. People are now into that, and it's going to be more semi-permanent. So that's great, you know, active mm-hmm. transportation. So there's some really interesting things happening right before our eyes, and uh you know, and this is a little bit outside of our wheelhouse, but I think as part of our advocacy for evidence-based policies, we can take real-world happening evidence saying, aha, you can shut down streets for much of the year, and people aren't going to complain, and things aren't going to fall apart, and you're going to have more active transportation. It's working. We're doing it. And that's always something to look at as, okay, other examples, you know, whether it's here or in other cities, other countries. 
So that kind of wraps into some of that, you know, like in terms of do we leave the oil in the ground? Well, I, you know, it's, these, these things can happen quickly if, uh, if we're forced to, but we don't want to do it when we're forced to. We want to do it because it's the right thing to do and, yeah. and yeah. Know, make, make those changes, yeah. Yeah, that seems to be the thing because, you know, if you leave the oil in the ground, first of all, your life gets better because it's less stinky, it's less noisy, it's less hectic. Um, you, you're forced into a better lifestyle. I noticed on a personal level, most people that I've met are happier because of the shutdown, even though they may have trouble with their jobs or, or school or whatever. They're, they're overall, they're happier. They're, they're more into community because they're, they're walking around their community now because of these roads that are closed. I only met one person who was uh, quite virulently against um, a road being closed, and he he just hated it completely. Like, like it was crazy. It was just off the charts and quite surprising. That we're, the first time I was with was taken aback. <laughs> so, so was I like, oh, wow, <laughs> you know, it's like that. That's gonna kill your life. Like, uh, wow, okay. But everybody well, else, could... everybody else has been super happy about it. And I've been reading a lot of stories of people overall are going, yeah, you know, I forgot what it was like to be like at home with my family or to right, see my neighbors right. or to actually talk to my neighbors, you know, <laughs> get to know who yeah. they are. I've experienced the same thing. It's true. I think, you know, to be fair, I think that, that clearly if you've lost your job, uh, I think there's a lot of people that are suffering. I think, mm -hmm. you know, there's mental health. I think there's a real problem there. And I think that uh, needs to be dealt with. And, we, you know, but I think, I think if you've, been a little bit lucky, although forced to stay at home, work from home, spend more time with your family and kids. I think, yeah, I've talked to a lot of acquaintances and friends that, that have seen a new bit of quality of life. So I think it's a bit of both. I think we got to be careful there, you know, um, mm -hmm. especially if, you know, you're, you're, you're hurting financially. I think yeah. that's, 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 you know, it's a thing. But yeah, but, I think but it's I, also But I found people positive. that were hurting financially are happier. <laughs> like it, it, it's so weird because you take that away out of the equation. And um, I think they find that the stress of having that job like the, not having the money is the key problem, but I think they take everything else associated with it and just say, you know, wow, what am I, why am I doing that? And I think I'm happier. Yeah. You know? And even by, even by extension, you know, things like, uh, a lot of people have been unable to, let's say if you're lucky enough to travel and you, know, you can't leave the country. Now people are enjoying their own province and seeing parts of the province for the first time or, yeah. or doing different activities for the first time. So again, we're sort of in a thick of it right now. I think we'll look back in a year or two or 10 years and we'll, we'll see these changes that have, some will be lasting for the good, some for the bad. Um, it's fascinating, but yeah, it does allow for, for, for a change of perspective. And, you know, you talk about somebody being upset about a street closure. Well, as a related topic, uh, I, I was volunteering, you know, to to open up Portage in Maine, and that was a great effort. Mm -hmm. And people are so upset about the idea of waiting at the traffic lights for, you know, 30 <laughs> seconds more during rush hour. And, yeah. you know, there's arguments on both sides, but I was fully behind opening it up for, for all the, uh, you know, for lifestyle issues and for mm -hmm. accessibility and whatnot. But it goes back to who are those people that are so upset about waiting a bit longer and where do they, you know, are they coming from the suburbs and what's their route like and what are they thought? So it goes, go back, goes back to, let's really dig deeper into what's the thought process. Now, without being too uh, accusatory, you know, is it just greedy? You literally don't want to sit there for 30 seconds. Well, mm -hmm. people got to, people got to work on that. But it's interesting to see how there's such, you know, sometimes uh, there's such a fight over certain things, but when then something actually happens, it's all good. Mm -hmm. So, uh, including those people that probably wouldn't mind those 30 seconds. So, you know, those are the fights we have where, you know, there's, there's, there's people that are worried about big changes, but when they happen, even those that were sort of opposed to it might realize that it wasn't so bad or it was for the better. So that's, that's, that's how it is. Sometimes change is uh, people are afraid of it or think it's going to affect them adversely, and then it, it, it really doesn't. And, uh, you know, and that's kind of what we're living through right now on a, on a few different examples. So those people are probably really thrilled with the, uh, the various cities around the province who are so on top of timing out traffic lights. So you have a very smooth transition through the city. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. I said more traffic lights with nothing going on than, uh, <laughs> you know, if you add up your time at a traffic light, then I think that would drive a person insane to know how much, you know, um, you know, here's, here's your, here's your daily total of just sitting at a traffic light doing nothing. They'd probably yeah, pull exactly. their hair, you know, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Burning gas while you're doing it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And the new cars that have come out that, that shut right off at, at, when you stop, 
and then start back up when you take your foot off the uh, brake. Um, I wonder, like the trade-off there, I guess, is in your starter because your starter is going to be just taking a, a lot of abuse over the life of a vehicle. Yeah, I wonder at the, the, uh, the end of the day, cradle grave, are you, you're saving gas, but are, are you wear and tear? Do you replace that car? I mean, hopefully mm-hmm. the technology's improved. Um, but uh, those are pretty nice and efficient vehicles. Mind you, we still need got to take that next step and get off of combustible engines, of course. But uh, yeah, yeah efficiency, efficiency is key, you know, and that's a big thing about all of this stuff about people that are... But, is oh, it? Yeah. but, but that's the thing. We get back to lifestyle issues. And, and if everybody talks about progress, efficiency... Uh, mm. all these things and the best life the least harmful life to the planet is hardly progressive or efficient it's just doing things you know on foot or you know very in a much slower more deliberate manner maybe getting less done but actually being happier in the, at the well, end of the day well y- yes if you want to go a little deeper i think in terms of the system we're already inside of we can be a lot more efficient but that's not going to be the that's not going to take us a yeah, to happen is that's for sure you're right so that's just, that's more of a technicality in terms of yeah. okay let's let's make buildings efficient let's make transportation efficient let's make your cars efficient but yeah the, you know lifestyle issues are are another level deeper uh, as we mentioned already yeah does that come about because like our, our focus then on efficiency and 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 dealing with things um quickly and appropriately is that because of the size of the population now that we just have so many more people flushing toilets demanding food um driving like wanting a car and that that you know i always say you know the quote-unquote freedom we experience with our car is anything but as soon as you hit the congestion of everybody else doing the same thing so is it if is it population driving a lot of these um efficiencies uh that's a good question well again you know there's a couple different angles uh efficiencies are there to be had and they're a good thing uh but is it sort of the chicken and egg or you know I mean, at this point, we should be a lot more efficient, but... Um, the rooster. No, I'm sorry. That's a bad joke. Yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. Uh, um, but yeah, I mean, you know, it's, uh, I guess I guess that falls in line with, you know, uh, two different things. So you've got lifestyle decisions, you've got efficiencies. I think they can live together. I think they're, I think they're both important, uh, you know, two sides of the same coin kind of thing. How many yeah. people does Elon Musk need to take to Mars? Is he going to take a few billion? <laughs> what is what, I, what is that starship supposed to hold? Uh, is it 100, 200 people? I can't I don't remember. Know. Six or uh, something. Gonna be a, it's like, it's hardly anything. That's, it's going to be a very uh, be a tight quarters. Is he going to be on it? Like it's him and a, a bunch of other guys thinking Mars is great. <laughs> They're going to go first. <laughs> yeah, I, I have a strong feeling he's not sending himself, uh, even though he's so yeah. keen on it, right? So yeah. he knows what his motivation is there. Yeah. Well, you can't enjoy your billions and uh, all your other projects if you're... Yeah, running out of That's everything right. a third of the way to Mars. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. Jeez. <laughs> I like how Cavalier was too. He says, you know, it's not going to be easy. A lot of people will probably die, you know. <laughs> not him, though. Yes, yeah. there was some real transparency there. That's right, for yeah. sure. And you're not coming back, right? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, what What else do you want to talk about? What's, what's some other, um, like a... Uh, maybe a science first or in your, in your day-to-day music scene, what's going on in the music scene? Well, you know, sure. Um, I, I can, I can give you a bit more here. Um, one thing that actually personally sort of come out of the uh, pandemic that um, I'm excited about actually was uh, because my, I run a music festival called meme. It's the Manitoba electronic music exhibition. And uh, we started that in 2010 and we actually happened to be the very first public event ever that took place at the Cube in the Exchange District. So it was kind of neat that we started this electronic music festival at this new Cube, which some people love, some people hate. It really suited us, though, because it's this kind of futuristic yeah. thing that lights up at night. And um, I was going to say, it sort of, that, looks, it sort of looks electronic music-y. Yeah, yeah. it really suits our, our vibe. So, I mean, um, we were pleased, and it was lucky. We came to the city to propose doing a festival with the old bandstand there, and they actually said, come and come sit down and meet us at the, at the Exchange Biz office, and they showed us the architectural drawings and said, we're building this in a year from now, next June, when do you want to throw your festival? Wow. And they did the, the ribbon-coming Papa Mumbo played there on the Thursday, June 7, 2010, with the mayor, and it was raining. Mm-hmm. And then the next day, we started our festival, and we, were, we had a 1,000 people, and it was great for our first year. 
So we did the festival for many years, and um, we do like paid gigs at the, uh, you know, we do party at the Art Gallery rooftop or the Forks Bridge or the Pyramid Cabaret, but the Cube itself is free, and we've always made sure through grants and sponsorships that we put on a free festival, mm -hmm. uh, uh, which is a, a big giant pain to do, but we've managed to keep it free for years with, with, with paid gigs, and anyways, um, we had to not run it this, this year, uh, largely because of, well, obviously you just can't have big events. So super, super reason I, I, yeah. yeah, you just can't do it. And <laughs> so it's very sad, um, very disappointing. Um, but, uh, and actually, I, uh, next year, we don't plan to do it either because you won't have giant gatherings in 2021. Anybody thinks you are probably pretty optimistic because mm -hmm. the vaccine won't be widely distributed. So I think it's pretty hard pill to swallow if people, as um, a quick tangent, you know, the good people, when they say folks festival are already saying, if they do something at Bird Hill in 2021, it'll probably be all Canadian acts because it's it's risky for them to be booking Americans or mm -hmm. Europeans now if there's another third or fourth wave or if, if travel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, science, so, science first. Um, the first person to, to say they were Americans officially was the former secretary to Abe Lincoln, who was the um, ambassador to St. James Court in England. And he decided to put American ambassador on his little thing on his desk. And um, I always, I always uh, take offense with that term for the people in the United States saying they're Americans because uh, there's two continents and a whole central area of Americans. Oh, tell me about it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. You, you really shouldn't. You can't, you can't own Americans. That's a lot of, yeah. that's, uh, that's about 900 million people. But yeah, they're, they're, exactly. They have to be, what are they? They have to be called United Statesians or United Stateites or something, I think. Yeah, it doesn't ring off the tongue, does it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and it sounds like a union um, too, which is really weird. It sounds like the the country right. sounds like a union, but it's they're anti-union. Yeah, yeah, go figure. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so 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 you've got you've got um you've got this situation where the music scene, these sports, you take it, these big events. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, we probably won't Could be you, back in March. Well, what what yeah. if you did a bubble? What if you did like the hockey and the the basketball now? What if you had people self-isolate, take tests, and then they could live in the bubble for the length of a yeah. of a well, of an event. Well, you could talk about a lot of creative ways to do it. You know, whether it's cohorts or, or rapid testing, which is going to be a thing, which is fascinating. When that, you know, if you could have a test result in five minutes, you could mm -hmm. line line up your test, you're in, you're out. Anyway, that all being said, well, I went to the I went to the dentist recently, and they mm -hmm. asked yeah. me. You know, they're hoping I was honest, I guess, but they asked me a number of questions. I had to. Uh, put on a paper and then sign and then they took a forehead temperature and they said you're okay you can come in well this is this is how it's going to work in these scenarios but when you talk about 500 a thousand twenty thousand people it's not going to work that's yeah. the difference there you know here's the thing big events pick your event doesn't matter are the last thing to come back online that that'll be the last thing in society that comes online because it's the obvious place where the most risk is so mm. so so what's come out of the pandemic for me in terms of somebody who's among many that have to cancel these things is that um, I uh, stumbled into the idea that I wanted to combine my two worlds. So science first and mean the Manitoba electronic music exhibition. And you have to bear with me, but I'll tell you the, the whole acronym, the company name for the music business is Mimetic. And the acronym is the Manitoba electronic music exhibition of technology, innovation and creativity. Cause we like to promote the idea of being creative with technology and innovative and electronic music, um, visuals, sampling, the whole thing. So, so with Mimetic, the company, we've, we're going to add an S. And the last word will be sustainability. So next year, we're not going to run the Cube. We're, we're going to run a smaller, small event to, to match the COVID restrictions and a lot of online events. And we're actually going to build a daytime, uh, two or, sorry, three or four day uh, uh, adaptation and resilience conference with speakers from different backgrounds. Uh, talking about a whole range of topics. So it'll be sort of a science-first okay. speaker series, and then at night we'll have some small COVID-safe music events. Yeah. And so so Mimetics is actually a new project combining these two worlds, uh, and I'm thrilled about it because I think the, for some people that might want to just come or check out these talks, these TED Talk kind of things online or maybe maybe outside somewhere safe, they might want to also check out some of the music stuff. So I think it allows us to kind of open up a wider audience in Manitoba or in Canada. And then in 2022... 2023 we'll go big again and we'll go we'll go to the cube and we'll we'll try to open back up to this much larger event but the the, the pandemic uh, 
sort of a, clued me into the idea of that maybe this this festival should should be more than a music uh, festival. It should be a um, we should have a bit more of a uh, a capacity to have some bettering of society. So we're in our small way we're going to create this conference on adaptation, resilience, and sustainability. Okay. Um, yeah, here's a thought. You can call it Pandemica. Hey, that's pretty good. And you can combine speakers uh, with live electronic music being created uh, at the same time, sort of as background music for them so they can exist in this vortex. Sort of like how they put William S. Burroughs' voice to music back in the day. Oh, I love it. Well, there are, we're not alone in this, uh, although this, this this idea maybe is a little bit unique to Winnipeg. I mean, um, I just love the idea of having, like, I don't like the phrase, but it's called transformational festivals where they combine yoga and meditation <laughs> yeah. and, and music. Um, and at the best of times, it's yeah. really great. So whether we're, you know, we're going to do these workshops and events talking about sustainability and science and adaptation and innovation and resilience, a lot of topics there. And we, mm-hmm. we're, we're really inspired by it. And then the music and party at night. I think mm-hmm. it's going to be great. But I will say just to your listeners, there's a festival in England that, I'm, that I've never been to that looks incredible. And it's maybe the gold standard sort of mega version of what we're doing. Um, and I would Google it. They're going to be back, I think, next year. It's the Blue Dot Festival. And they're huge. They've got, like, Kraftwerk. Well, missing one member now who's passed away. New Order, um, Bjork, this kind of thing. And then it's held at the Jordrell uh, Bank Observatory, Cheshire, England. So it's... It's a, a mega science conference and music festival with 15,000 people per day. And uh, isn't that neat? So they've yeah. got, you know, they've got, they've got uh, a wonderful mixture of, because, you know, I mean, hey, why not go and talk about science and sustainability and then go to a party at night with the great music? So yeah. I'm really excited to have a small version of that in Winnipeg. And I think it's going to be really helpful because we did well, but we kind of always struggled to grow. We were, we would see two or 3,000 people, which sounds great, but, our paid gigs would be a few hundred people, but we think that if we do this, maybe over a few years, we'll, we'll have a lot more eyes and ears and attendees. So that's the, that's the medium-term plan here for us. Yeah, it's kind of why they invented the Internet in a way, you know, to, to sort of save on having to travel to places. Because, you know, there's, there's, it's so good to be around other people and experience that, but it's also good just to experience it, you know, be it. Well, you know, um, this year they had, um, my wife has gone, and I've never been, I'd love to go, maybe it's a bit of a cliche here, but Burning Man is, seems to be, for some people, can be a really great event, it's quite creative, and I think you can go there and, and see a lot of great things, but this year they had to cancel the 70,000 person event, which is pretty mm-hmm. pretty, pretty crazy, but they ran a, they built a, an online, the theme of the year was actually multiverse, which is so appropriate, so they did it online, like a lot of groups, so they did a virtual reality world, and then all these performances and, um, you know, on one hand, it's maybe a bit gimmicky and hokey, but with high-def virtual reality goggles and yeah. with these performances, which is great music, great visuals, was, it was definitely something. So, you know, um, there's no turning back on that. You know, these virtual events, which are not replacing reality, they have some, they have some place, whether it's just a, just a presentation or a talk, but because they're interactive now, um, I mean, I'm, I'm not so tech-savvy, but I'm pretty excited about the idea of, yeah, the virtual world or, or the augmented reality world coming up and up. And hey, it's great for the environment, although you know, it doesn't get you up and moving, which is another problem if you're, if you're sitting at home on your couch, but that's a separate topic, I guess. Yeah. Well, if you have the goggles on, you could just be careful where your furniture is. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, there's a few things now. They've got this thing where you, you sort of hook up to a, a harness and you've got a, 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 an all-directional sort of treadmill where you can actually run inside of the game. So there's <laughs> There, there, there's attempts now. Yeah, it's funny, but it's it's legit. You're actually running around. So I guess you know, you, to be fair, maybe maybe they'll figure some of that couch potato problem out. To, I hope so. I've got two I've got two little kids. My son's turning three soon, and yeah. I've I kept I've kept them away from video games. You know, but I, he watches his tablet and stuff. But I know that never mind drugs and alcohol. I think this I think the thing to be worried about with the youngest generation is the seductive technology, you know, you're going to be glued to this incredible technology as a young child. And I, you know, whether it's reading a book or going outside to play, I think that's going to be the new struggle for the new generation. So, so I look forward to technology coming up with maybe some options, i.e. can you run on this 
on the treadmill? Or can you go outside with your goggles and be, you know, <laughs> what, what's, what's the Pokemon Go? It's the augmented reality. At least oh, God. you don't want to walk into traffic. I get it. But at least you're outside <laughs> moving around, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, I like going outside because it's super detailed. It's really big. And it's like 3D as heck. And, uh, it's really it's really high depth, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And you don't need the goggles and the wires and stuff. <laughs> yeah. And you know, you, you can avoid trees and everything when you walk, and it's awesome. Yeah, it's yeah, <laughs> it's like really big out there. But it's, it's really it's endless. Yeah. Yeah, I remember playing pong back in the day, and we thought, you know, that was something. But <laughs> <laughs> anyway, but that was the days when you say, you know, parents say, "Go play outside. Go outside. Go, go, go." And so we did, and uh, that's what we did. But okay. Um, so yeah, what what else is going on? Like, what's uh, in the province? What? Give me a, a quick tour around the province, and what some of the issues are that we should be looking at. Well, you know, I think the main thing with with uh, maybe back to the science first stuff is uh, the sort of a couple of ones that are still priority. It's an obvious one, but I'll say it again. You know, the idea that Lake Winnipeg is in such rough shape is is uh, it, you know can be fixed. It's going to take going to take decades but if we start aggressively doing something now so one of the things we're doing next year and a lot of groups are doing this but we're part of this process is uh we're going to do an event it's world water day on march 20th and 21st or sorry march 22nd but we're going to run a two-day conference on the 20th 21st of march and it's going to be a conference just about the lake winnipeg watershed which of course is actually the second biggest watershed in north america uh which is interesting so it draws from a wide area as we know from uh, parts of Minnesota, South Dakota, North Dakota, a little bit of Ontario, Saskatchewan, Alberta, Northwest Territories. And so there's a few different groups working on it, but we're going to do uh, two days of um, online workshop and presentations with a whole bunch of stakeholders and speakers, um, scientists looking at invasive species, microplastics, uh, soil scientists, agriculture, uh, recreational users, politicians. And then what we're trying to do is, A, of course, educate but also uh, really identify priority lists, you know, and, and it goes back to people saying, well, what can I do about the lake? You know, you're, but it's always a big question with any of these things. Well, what can I do and who do I talk to? And uh, the mm-hmm. answers aren't always simple. So, yeah, the lake is a huge issue. Um, you know, I think, it's, I think it's really crummy that the Red River is in not the best shape. I mean, uh, so what you need is you need your neighbors involved. You know, we, if, if Winnipeg turned off the taps and put no more pollution into the river, that wouldn't solve the problem. It would help a lot, by mm-hmm. the way. Okay. Uh, but it's really, it's a huge watershed. So, you know, over time, what seems to come out of these things, just to give you one example, not to pick on agriculture, but it still seems to be one of the biggest culprits. Um, now, there's a few problems there. It's, it's intensive hog barn is still part of the problem. It's fertilizer, it's spring runoff. Mm-hmm. Um, so the idea is, you know, modifying farming and what we're growing and how the water comes off the fields and all that kind of stuff. So this conference is really going to be about talking to the public at large and also talking about uh, who you should write to, your MLA or your MP or, or even, even professing certain organizations to change their ways. Again, this is all happening already, but we want to amplify that. We want to identify it. We want to push it and see if we can start to help fix the lake. So hopefully it's a lot better in 20 years. Again, it's not going to be better overnight or over, over a year, over five years, but it's, it's, that's a real long-term turnaround. And, mm-hmm. and that's sort of like climate change. I mean, it, it's going to get worse, and it's, it's always going to get worse. But we can right now make big changes so that it doesn't get a lot, lot, lot worse. One of our speakers, Jeff Dembicki, uh coming up, he wrote a book called Are We Screwed in 2017 about climate change. Mm-hmm. And everyone wants to know, you know, are we screwed? And the answer is yes but we could be a lot more screwed. So mm-hmm. where we land in 30 years will be scary. You know, if we go 1.5 degrees, 2 degrees, which we are, and there's a lot of mass migration, a lot of destabilization. But let's just do that. Let's not go to 5 degrees, which is like bonkers crazy in 100 years that the world would be like a post-apocalyptic movie. So what our job right now is to do is to know we're going to have some difficulty ahead uh, while you and I are still alive and our kids are around. Mm-hmm. But let's not make it much, 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 much worse. And so Manitoba is a tiny part of the problem. Canada is a smaller part of the problem. But obviously, we all need to do our part. So if Manitoba does its part, uh, becoming uh, less carbon uh, dependent, and Canada does its part, and our coalition, Europeans, Americans, and of course, China and India, et cetera, 
So I think that's the thing people say, well, who cares if Canada reduces its emissions? It's China, it's the states. And the obvious answer is, is Canada you know, is part of the problem. By per capita, it's a huge part of the problem. And if we do our part, that gives us the you know, uh, moral strength to tell our, our trading partners to do their part and our coalition to do their part, and et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, so water issues, climate issues uh, are two things, you know, to stand out. And then more, more of a conversation about, uh, you know, reaching to the other side. How do we make decisions? How, you know, can we please all agree on the facts? Can we, can we find truth? Can we find science uh, in part of our conversation? And that, that goes back to a real problem. I'll mention one last thing on that. Is, uh, this isn't just about Manitoba, but we've got to look on our own backyard. Is, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the idea of misinformation whether it's about COVID or whether it's about environmental issues or whether it's about anything. Um, one of the things that we need to start working on is, is uh, there's, there's this idea of like fact checking now online. So social media is, yeah. will, 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 will flag something. So Manitoba and Canada needs to um, create new laws, new policies uh, that, um, and this is, this is tricky, that needs to make sure that the, these, these media companies, they don't want to be called that, but social media, Facebook, Instagram, mm-hmm. they need to, um, they, you know, we need to really look hard at, you want to balance free speech, but you also need to, you need to make sure that like straight up lies are identified. And uh, that's a huge problem. And they don't want to have, a, they don't want to, you, know, you don't want to censor things. So yeah, so I mean, that's an ongoing conversation right now. It's, it, it really comes to the top of the heap because if you want to talk about water issues or climate change, you need good information, so that's why right, right. now that's sort of a, a focus. Yeah. What if we? What if that's one of the things people edit out of their lives is just this social media stuff, because it seems to be is good for one billionaire, and it's horrible for everybody else. And a lot of people that get off of it say, again, it's like this COVID thing and living at home. It's like they get off of social media and they're like, "Wow, I feel so much better every day." <laughs> you know. Well, you know what? I when I I've, I had my kids. My wife and I. We got a, our son's turning three. My daughter's turning one in two weeks. And I actually got off of my personal Facebook account um, a couple of years ago because I had children and I wanted to not spend so much time. I still have a business account because, well, yeah. quote unquote, you have to. Mm-hmm. We could talk about that. But anyways, um, and I love not being on it because I was one of those people that was sort of, especially as in, in the music scene. I still have the business pages, but the personal page was was kind of addictive. I like to just post things. I like the, I like the likes. I like to scroll and look. And it's nice to see pictures of your friends doing stuff, but I realized that it was taking time away from everything else, whether it was reading a book or hanging out with my kids. So yeah, definitely quality of life went up. But as an organizational tool and as something, mm-hmm. maybe we need a different kind of social media. I, I, think that, yeah. I think we've opened the Pandora's box. It's not closing. And I think that might be part of the conversation. But as it stands right now, the ones we do have, these social media companies, we got to deal with this misinformation problem. And that's obviously people know it's in the news. It's happening. It's talking, whether it's inciting violence or whether it's uh, talking about vaccines causing autism. There you go. It's a problem and it's a huge problem and a growing problem. Um, and something that, uh, you know, whether it's arson is creating, the, causing all of the fires in, in Oregon and California, which they did cause a few. So, yeah. So for me, that really rises just about to the top is, uh, we need to get a handle on this, this, this post-truth world is, is just bonkers and it's a real problem and it's really scary. Yeah, I hear you. And it, that probably goes back to the very first newspaper ever created where the person doing it went, wait, I can't, I can't afford this. So you got advertisers involved <laughs> and boom. Ah, good, skewed, that's right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Excuse the news immediately. I'm not advertising if yeah. you're going to say that, you know, Oh, well, I won't say that then give me your money. Thanks. You know, I can keep the, there's, there's always a, that's right. There's always a deeper issue there, and the reason social media, Facebook, for example, doesn't want to doesn't doesn't want to throttle this misinformation because that's the stuff that gets the most attraction, stuff that's yeah. controversial, it gets people riled up. So yeah, I think that I, I'm part of a, actually Ramona Pringle, who's a regular CBC technology commentator, and she's a Ryerson professor of society technology. She does a good job. She's speaking at this event on November 14th, but mm-hmm. um, one of her specialties, I think, just because she's paid a lot of attention, will be about new technology and AI and bots and troll farms and fact-checking. So I'm really excited to learn more about that myself as um, part of the story here, love it or hate it, is is technology. Even without real people, you've got misinformation being spread by algorithms and uh, Mm -hmm. and all that stuff, or or search engines, fascinating stuff, and we can barely keep up, right? So that is, uh, that's, you know, that's an ongoing story for sure. Wow. 
Yeah, and it never ends, and that's that's a great thing. I got to tell you too. I think it go. I was reading something about uh, Da Vinci's brain, and um, but they're talking about in more general terms where science sort of started around Da Vinci's time because the popes were saying the humans are separate from nature. We're not of nature, and you know, so we're not. We can't identify ourselves as just an animal and living in the trees and, and wandering around. We're we're this whole other thing. And and uh, and what that did was that sort of launched the scientist movement, and so mm, so politics right. yeah. created the scientist movement. The scientist movement came around and said, uh, you know, uh, uh, religion's backwards. You're not progressive. You're not thinking right. And and now it's uh, you know because for the last ten years it's been you know or twenty years, thirty years it's been people who are into science, uh, there were big advocates and well-spoken advocates of science and really intellectual and, and uh, compelling in their, in their voice, were really bashing religion so hard. And now it's come out that where the Pope's saying, hey, nature's good. Like, we should go back to nature. Nature heals us. Nature's brilliant. And it's sort of like, sort of like the, uh, however many centuries later trying to you know, take that corroded tap and kind of turn it off and say, you know, the less we know about the world, technically, maybe we'll just let the world do its thing and we can just live on it. And, and, and if we live a quieter life, maybe we'll be a lot happier. So it's funny how that ball of wax has sort of melted itself. You know, that, that reminds me on, on a related note of um, one of my favorite church or religion versus science stories last few years, if you, people can look this up. But I remember not, not too long ago when the Vatican put out a statement saying that it was, if, if it was true and it was possible that there are uh, sentient aliens living on other planets in, in the universe, in the galaxies, that, that that could be a thing and it would still be part of, part of Christianity. Um, I thought to myself, <laughs> it's interesting that they, want, they wanted to get out in front of that, just, yeah. just in case. Just, uh, you know, you can look more into that, but... <laughs> The motivations there, whether Jesus went to other planets or whether whatever the case is, I just loved how they, they felt like they needed to be part of that conversation rather than, so maybe they know something we don't, but you can always hope. Uh, so yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, and back in the day, I was just listening to this other book, and they're talking about how the people of the time after, you know, when they're talking, writing about Jesus seven years after the, you know, quote-unquote Jesus was around, and right. and people were were actually thinking, oh, He's just another one of those shifty magicians. He's just doing this magic stuff, and it's all, uh, you know, it's just like he's just one of these crazy magician guys. And and the Romans, like the whole cross thing, they were hanging people who who were calling themselves magicians or doing magic. That the cross was for those people. <laughs> and so, right. So the right. fact that he went on one was, you know, if if he existed, because that's the funny thing is there's no there's no Rome. The Romans kept a lot of records. There's a lot of records in those days. They're very good at it by then, and there's like no mention of the guy, but but just the idea of it, even like the idea that he, you know people said, oh he if you know you're talking about a guy who did that, he's probably just one of these guys. Like that's you know, so it's well, um, don't we have don't we even have more more proof of like you know from the Greeks like from, isn't Aristotle isn't there more like true proof of him than Jesus for example? Yeah. Yeah, and Socrates and all yeah. those guys. Yeah, like yeah, because they were date. They were actually lived. They had there's records. There's people, contemporary, um, you know, records of them. People's diaries or writings. And that's the yeah. thing too. That's like, the year one thousand wasn't that long ago, and people were really up on what was going on. And the world wasn't that big. You would have heard about this guy. <laughs> yeah, Jesus might have been um, sort of more of a series of people or ideas and yeah. stories, but we. That's another podcast for you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't, I, yeah, and I don't yeah, know because yeah. I wasn't there either. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. the, the fact right, that right. people tell you this is true is just like okay. Yeah. Let's let's do some science first on this one. Sure, sure. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, but it was just it's just funny now how the Pope and is is kind of trying to lead this charge back to nature and just say you know shut it off, shut it off. <laughs> it didn't work. It's not working. Yeah, no, it, it, exactly. Yeah, 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 that's right. It's a, a kind of ironic. Well, back to nature and. Back to aliens and space, apparently. So it goes, it goes both ways. Yeah. Well, I look forward to exploring the uh, space's nature and, and all their hot spots. Who knows? Yeah, without wrecking it. Yeah. Without wrecking, yeah, I'll drop my coke can out just wherever, mm -hmm. yeah. and I'll, I'll, I'll tromp on some some native species and see how they feel about it. Yeah. <laughs>
<laughs> well, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna find out soon when we go to Venus in a few years. See if we got some microbial life there in the in the clouds of Venus, which is fascinating. If China led, isn't that the one China claimed? Uh, yeah, I think so. Hey, well, they yeah. as as you know, they found uh, some phosphine uh, through spectral analysis that, uh, as far as we know, is only produced by life on Earth or or. Uh, or unnatural laboratory conditions. So, uh, okay. uh, yeah, they, they, there's a lot of excitement. Uh, 2023, a probe's going to go to, to Venus that might let us uh, taste its atmosphere or, or scan it for more information. So, uh, interesting times we live in. Yeah, of science. Yeah, it is. It yeah. is. It is fun to learn all about it, like what how the world works. It's just not fun when we decide to use that to ruin it. So. Well, then that's yeah. the thing with 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 all of this stuff, technology and science, is it's the classic story of the double-edged sword. It's you know, these are wonderful tools, but they're misused. So, you know, that's why I say even with science first is that uh, we're not just saying science is best or science only. Mm-hmm. It's just the idea that we're trying to use it as a place to have science-informed decision-making, evidence-based and evidence-informed decision-making. And that lets you talk to a wide audience so that we can all say, okay, let's have a debate, but can we agree on the core information? And that is not very easy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I guess you need a sister organization called Politics Second. <laughs> just, just to put that into people's brains, right? Just to brand it in there a little bit. Politics next. Yeah, exactly. Politics yeah. Uh, down the line. Yeah. 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 <laughs> okay. Well, um, yeah. Is there anything else going on or interesting in your life or do you want to uh, promote or talk about? Uh, no, I think you let me promote yeah. lots of stuff. I, I appreciate it. I'm really, really great to sort of, uh, I haven't really had a, had a conversation uh, about these two projects together. So that's, I'm going to be announcing some more stuff online soon, but happy to, to share that with with you and everyone today. Yeah. Okay. How do people get, uh, how do they find you online and how do they get in touch to help out? Well, I think the best place to start just with the main website, it's sciencefirst.ca and it's just science first spelled out. So that's the main website. And then through there, we've got an events listing and we can find our social media and whatnot. And then the music, the music project is memetic.ca. So it's just like the word, M-E-M-E-T-I-C dot C-A. Okay. And then uh, yeah. people can, yeah, so through uh, through Science First, people can, I see they can donate. They, they see a lot of, I see it's sort of like an aggregate website too. It's sort of like Drudge Report where you pull information from different places. Yeah, there's a few things. I mean, we, uh, we're, we're posting, we've got blogs, we've got our events listing and, um, we're pretty busy on social media too. We're on Instagram, Science First, and, and Twitter. And people can find me on social media if they want. My business page is just uh, it's Nathan Zan uh, 42. So it's Nathan dot Z A H N 42 on uh, I believe on uh, uh, on Facebook or just Nathan Zan. So yeah, so they can uh, reach me personally through any of these projects just through the emails. Okay, and the, I was just looking back at the website. There's a I thought of, is there a donate? Yeah, there is a donate. Okay, good. Yeah, and, and so yeah. and so donations, uh, very simply, donations allow us to put on all these events for either for free or for cheap. We send students to them. And so, yes, yeah, people want to support uh, these town halls and events, uh, they can make a donation to Science First right on the main page of the website. Excellent. Okay, and I look, I'd look. i like to get out to the uh, Experimental Lake District at some point. Do you have a, uh, ways of getting out there that are organized yes. and safe? Yeah, so, um, so my suggestion for people is... Um, it's a group that's running the experimental lakes, and if you want to get a tour, I think that's going to open up summer of 2021, by the way, but okay. uh, the group is the IISD, so you're going to want to reach out to the International Institute for Sustainable Development, okay. a wonderful group. Uh, they've got a Winnipeg office, and they are the ones running the ELA, and then, then if you call the front desk of the IISD, they would put you towards the people who do the experimental lakes area tours, and there's a whole range of stuff from checking it out for a couple hours to educational programs and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. All right. Thank you for listening. Thank you, the listener. You make all this go, 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 go. People wouldn't come on the show if there wasn't any go. So we thank you for listening and uh, learning because there's a lot to learn and there's a lot to talk about. So there you go. You've done a good start. You've made a grand start, grand entrance. You've made a grand entrance onto the scene and we salute you. We salute you. For those who want to listen, we salute you. And I don't have my cannon loaded, so I can't give a big 21-gun salute here. So um, you have to use your imagination. Or go listen to that album, <laughs> and you'll hear it. Kaboom. Okay. Um, 
yeah, that's it for today's show. Uh, we're going to try and get out to a community near you this summer. We're going to work hard on that. So if you want to edge that along, make a donation that we can't refuse and uh, just hint, hint, nudge, nudge. Winks as good as a nudge to a blind man. Is that what they say? I think that's what they used to say. Okay, so again, subscribe to us, rate us, and review us. Tell your friends. We look forward to uh, having you as, an, as a listener and having your friends as new listeners. Always room in the listener basket for everybody. It's, uh, it's a real fun balloon ride, I'll tell you. We're coasting over some interesting ground. Okay, so thank you for listening. Uh, this is the Manitobaville Podcast. I'm Mahangel. And uh, just a reminder that we are copyright 2022 by Rodeo Road Studios. Mm-hmm.